This is Jim English, and welcome to my podcast. And due to the nature of this, I'm going to call it the Who Gives an S File because this is a serious subject. I've got a great friend of mine on, a guy I've known forever. His name is Barry Gale, and we have about 10 different nicknames for each other. We played basketball together. Barry has got uh, four kids, and how many grandkids, Barry? Four. Four grandkids as well. So he's a fertile fella. And he is going to talk about religion, which is very dear to him, and he's got a strong faith. And it's interesting in this day and age to have a man of science. He's got an MBA. He's a successful Newport Beat real estate salesman. And it's great to see somebody with old-time religious, spiritual values and a strong faith. So, Barry, why don't you start us off with how did this come about? What is your philosophy on spirituality and faith? Well, first, it's good to be here with you, Jim. I am uh, interested to talk about the subject because obviously I live it daily, but never talk about it out loud at any great length. So the original question that you have asked uh, is how did I come by my faith? Well, it was passed down to me uh, through the generations. And that is, I think, not unlike uh, most religions. Uh, there are obviously uh, some where people evolve and become different people and, and uh, change. But my basic philosophy about religion uh, is that those who believe uh, understand that there's something greater than this life themselves, that man that are something greater than man, that man does not have all of the answers. And that uh, understanding that um, you realize that you must have uh, humility, that you understand that there's way more that you don't know uh, than you do know. And that uh, having a country that was I think divinely inspired uh, because of the rights that they believe were delivered inalienable from a creator. And I think that while we believed that as a country, uh, we were a better country. Uh, and we had more freedom when we believe in, in uh, a, a, the Supreme Being. Because the alternative is to believe in man. And uh, now in this year of our Lord in 2021, you can see how we're doing, managing. But the elites who control all of the communication and media, not all, but uh, the vast majority of it, would have you believe that religion is for bumpkins. Uh, it's a superstition. Uh, there's no value to it. In fact, not only would they prefer it not to be around, uh, or practiced, they really would like it eradicated. And candidly, they're doing the best they can. Uh, and I think that I would tie the nature of our country uh, to its spiritual decline is to when the Supreme Court ruled that there had to be no mention of God in the classroom and that uh, the Ten Commandments would be taken out of every single public high school. It's kind of a code of conduct, 
since then, I think you can see a great decline. So uh, obviously I'm off on a tangent relative to religion, but my basic philosophy is this, is that if you believe uh, in a religion, uh, you have to believe it's the one true religion. If not, uh, you ought to go find another one. If you don't believe in religion, you have to believe in man. Uh, and I think that my understanding of human nature uh, suggests that man does not have the answers, uh, that, they that man continues to make the same mistakes they've always made uh, and will always make, uh, and that the latest uh, efforts uh, to replace spirituality, replace God, replace respect for something more than yourself uh, is uh, a new wave progressivism that doesn't really want to tolerate or listen to any kind of uh, spiritual uh, convention. They, they really would prefer to be struck entirely. Um, and uh, again, there are many, many issues of, uh, going on nowadays that are powerful, but um, my sense of my faith is that uh, it provides uh, a form of spirituality and a code of conduct and, and, a, and a rationale for giving uh, as opposed to taking. You know, it's interesting when you talk about if, you know, the belief in man. Now, most of our biggest and best scientists who have made these discoveries, Einstein, Dr. Tyson, they all believe in God. Because of the complexity and the elegance of the universe, to believe that this just happened randomly is absurd. And it's also, I wanted to react to something, even though we were gonna have this as totally you doing the podcast, but I wanted to react to something here, is, you know, um, I've done a couple of podcasts and I'm gonna do one coming up on the Soviet Union who squashed all religion, right? Squashed yes. all religion. Yes. Communist China during the Cultural Revolution, they eradicated anybody that was remotely affiliated with any religion because they wanted robots. They didn't want spiritually thinking people. So I really, I really enjoyed what you just had to say. Now, you know, obviously this has been rooted in generations passed down. Now, where did this start? Where did this belief start? Well, my earliest uh, recognition uh, is clearly communicated from my parents because they told me about my grandparents who were still alive uh, when I was born and uh, the patriarch of the family was a man named George Murray. Uh, his wife Bridget had emigrated from Ireland, Northern Ireland, then given in 1903, Whoa. and the story uh, was one that is most typically Irish, uh, although I did not know in detail uh, how that came about. But essentially, uh, they were poor. Uh, they lived in one a one-room car-gated structure. In Catholic, right? These are they were Roman Catholic in in, in Ireland in, in 1904. Ireland. In 1904, not 1904. a good place to be. No, and and. Uh, to your point, um, the 
what they always would call the troubles. That's their reference to it. Was it a constant touchstone for who they were and their faith and how their faith that their trip eventually evolved. But um, Bridget was the oldest of 13 and one of her younger sisters brought home a husband and Bridget's father came to her and said, uh, you have to go, uh, there's not room for you. Um, Bridget understood uh, that's kind of what the customs and traditions allowed and, and uh, tried to figure it out and uh, saved money for passage to the United States. Landed in New York uh, and uh, the same Ellis Island that so many immigrants from across the world uh, landed. Before we leave Ireland, how do you think his, her father felt about having that conversation with her, you have to leave? Well, um, the, the, the famine in the mid-19th century, uh, the Irish famine, Brutal. the famine, uh, 1860s, uh, just people, as we know from reading history, dying in the streets, uh, malnutrition, uh, English wouldn't help them, Scot Scottish were basically the land barons, uh, overlords for the Irish. The Irish were on the very lowest possible uh, rung of the culture. So, and you do realize that they fed their livestock but didn't feed the Irish. <laughs> well, that's there you go, right? I mean, uh, all you need to know. Right. Says all it all, know, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but when history is, is replete with the repressed arising, and uh, especially, especially if they have faith. Yeah. I mean, that's the essence of it. They have to have spiritual guidance and leadership um, because one thing is really really clear uh, leadership whether it be in the secular world or religious world is absolutely necessary and uh, it's a whole other subject I mean today's Pope for example is not in the tradition of recent popes especially John Paul II who uh -huh. I believe was certainly a candidate if not the man of the century mm -hmm. uh, in, in the 20th century mm -hmm. so um, they will have to. Um, I, I think when I think of uh, Ireland during that time, uh, it, it was the, the living itself was so incredibly difficult. It was oh. a day to day Survivor. try to figure it out, get past it, get past it. And as we know, uh, being uh, having these Irish roots. People will say, well, it's an Irish wake. You know, people come and they party and they, they uh, exchange uh, supposedly jocularity and hilarity and uh, it's upbeat and all that kind of thing. And the rest of the world looks at, what are, why are those people celebrating death? And obviously the, the real reason was is that it was the only time they gathered uh, and therefore the Irish being who the Irish are, we're gonna take every bit of opportunity to celebrate being alive and most most definitely, friends and family, you know, right. the kin, where you get together and right. you can talk. And, and uh, as we know, uh, there is a whole lot of extraordinary literature and written 
words that came from that tiny little Emerald Isle. Right. So Bridget, in 1904, she she comes to the United States? 1903, her husband, William uh, Bill, mm -hmm. came uh, one year later, evidently, right around a year. Uh -huh. And how was the trip out here well, on the boat? Yeah, they, um, um, they called them coffin ships. <laughs> and the reason why is that you had to have uh, really a strong constitution to survive. Um, it, steerage really was meant for animals, uh, and they would transport animals uh, when they didn't have people, so that the, the uh, conditions were inhumane, and people didn't make it. Uh, high seas, think about it, cold, drafty, disease, how you uh, defecate, uh, all of those kind of things. Um, so to get from one continent to the new world uh, in a matter of however many weeks, it, uh, months it took to get there, uh, really uh, weeded out the weak, uh, and physically and mentally. And obviously, again, the core would appear to be from just the, the great mass of people coming uh, spiritually. How do you think her spirituality helped her get through that awful, because it probably took, what, three months maybe? I think it's a couple months. I think seven, yeah. eight weeks it took. Yeah. I think it took seven, How do you think weeks. her spirituality helped her? Uh, well, <laughs> um, there's a saying in the Catholic faith uh, in the Mass, uh, and it's called the Shishupiat, and the essence of the prayer means, this too shall pass. And I think that if you have the mindset that this life is not nirvana. It's, it's a veil of tears that we are going to always struggle. But uh, should you live a life of virtue uh, and determination and hard work and sacrifice and doing for others, uh, there's, there's absolutely going to be a better place for you. Yeah. So she had that in her heart? I think that she had that. I think she believed that. I think that uh, when I uh, was fortunate enough, I was alive uh, about, uh, I think, 11 of her years, maybe 11, uh, 12, somewhere around there, because um, her husband, Bill, passed in 1956. I think she lived another four or five years. But uh, one of the things that was very evident, uh, in addition to her physical strength, was uh, just great self-discipline. She um, had three sons, two of which were ordained priests. Um, another one had a family of four. Uh, one of his daughters became a religious Catholic nun. Um, and then the, the youngest of their four children was my mother. And um, she had the same, she was a red-haired beauty and, and uh, absolutely adored her older brothers, uh, especially uh, the oldest one who was Bill. And uh, Bill was kind of a star of the family. Uh, he had a uh, handsome dude, six foot two, athletic, uh, just great personality. Uh, 
shirt off the back kind of guy, just generous by nature. And he uh, ends up going into the priesthood at 18, is ordained at 28, and uh, ends up passing uh, inside a year of cancer. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. So it devastated the, the family. Uh, Specifically your mom, right? That's her brother? That was her older brother. That, uh -huh. was, her, that was her favorite. And uh, the uh, other brother, John, who was the youngest of the three, uh, I would suspect it had an influence on him uh, that this beloved brother who was showered with love and affection and when you're not that top dog uh, in a brotherhood situation, you're always trying to fight to get attention like puppies. You know, how about me? And uh, how much of his decision to become a priest, uh, I really hadn't thought about until this moment, was probably influenced by his brother's passing. He got all that love, he was a priest. Uh, maybe I go that direction as well. Um, part of that uh, philosophy of believing that, gosh, there's uh, there's got to be more than this life, and and again, it's so much of of uh, the practice of the faith is based on the word faith, which is uh, you can't prove it, you can't prove it, um, and a, an analogy may be that. For example, we know that there's H2O, H2O we're, we're, we breathe air, can't see it. We have faith that it's out there. And the essence of uh, belief in the things that we can't see is steeped in culture and uh, tradition and uh, to some degree um, a bred spirituality. Uh, and for me, uh, growing up Catholic, it was never a question of whether or not um, I was going to be baptized Catholic. That was a, that was a given. Um, and what Catholics believe is that once you're baptized, uh, that opens the opportunity, the door for everlasting life. Mm -hmm. And whether or not you upon reaching the age of reason, which is seven. I always thought that that was ridiculous uh, growing <laughs> up. Uh, I'm still waiting to reach it. <laughs> all of that. Um, that you then are responsible for uh, your own soul and developing the right conscience. And the right conscience is in line with uh, the catechism of the Roman Catholic faith which basically lays out all the rules and regulations and, and the duties and the obligations uh, of it, like in any organization, like in any faith, this is what they are. Uh, and this is what you have to live by if you are going to be a practicing Catholic. How many, so how many uncles did you have actually going to the priesthood? I had uh, just the two on my mother's side, on my uh, father's side, um, his uh, older half-brother, Joe, 
was one of, uh, he had seven children and um, one of those children, one of those seven, became, also became a, a religious nun as well. Um, and again, it's, it's probably not that unusual to go through uh, large families like that and, and understand that there, was, that there was going to be a um, religious person. Um, but from the standpoint of today, uh, it's, uh, again, highly unusual that anybody chooses that uh, profession. Well, you got you got fifteen to twenty percent of your of your aunts and uncles made religious commitments for their entire life, and I think in, it's inevitable that some of that would well a lot of that would rub off on you and your brothers. Well, we were um, innately familiar with it because uh, both my uncle John would always bring priest home. Uh, the door was always open in Irish tradition uh, of bringing people home. Our doors were always open. So there's priests around all the time. Obviously the, the principal of both St. Thomas of Villanova where I grew up and then eventually St. Margaret's in Narberth uh, both had parished priests and pastors that uh, were, were obviously running uh, those uh, diocesan church. Um, so I, again, my, uh, I had a great familiarity with uh, and ease being around religious people because mm -hmm. I was taught by them. Uh, they were guiding me. Uh, I saw them as part of my family. Uh, I would get, uh, I had cousins that I didn't, second cousins that were a numerous amount that would send me birthday cards that were uh, Sisters of Mercy. You know that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I lived it all the time, and it was a great comfort level of, of having uh, religious people. Around. You know, and it's it's interesting too because some people, with that much exposure to Catholicism, religion, spirituality, and faith, could sour on it. But you didn't. You embraced it. And why do you think that is? Well. Um, <laughs> That's a good question, and, I, and I'll try to be uh, cogent and, and somewhat brief, but to try to get to that answer, um, I think it starts with uh, there wasn't a choice early. We got room and board and, and uh, expenses, <laughs> uh, and we were going to practice. And, and really, you don't start to, to fade away from the ritual of the Catholic Church because it's it's burdensome to some degree. Um, you have to be somewhere every Sunday. There's uh, you have to go to confession at a period of time. When we grew up, there's uh, 40 days of rosaries on our knees uh, every Lent. Uh, there was uh, months of May where we also said rosary and went to at mass. There's there's holy days of obligation that uh, need to uh, need to be uh, attended to. So, it, in a sense, uh, you are, uh, it's, it, it's in essence, it, it, the very part of you, uh, if you're um, brought up in a practicing Roman Catholic home, uh, it's just part of who you are. You don't really start thinking about 
uh, it on uh, from an arm's distance until you get to the uh, corrupted levels of college. No, first and foremost, you're free. Nobody's going to come in and roll you out of bed when you're a freshman in college down in Alabama, where I was, uh, and say you got to go to mass. So I took that opportunity to uh, take a step back and abandon the practice. Uh, and I didn't do it with any kind of glee. Uh, I just did it because um, I felt like it. And at that point, it was all about me. Uh, who am I? Uh, how do I fit in? How can I compete? Um, how will I do in school? Who will I meet? Um, who am I? Uh, and the thought of uh, retaining the practice of my religion was down the list. So I did well, it was also a time of total social upheaval with the Vietnam War and the questioning of all institutions and values. You know, it, during the 60s when you were in college, it was a, it was, you know, you had the establishment versus the, um, versus the idealists. So, so you strayed for a while and it was certainly understandable because it's a confluence of two items. One are the times, and the second one is your age. So when did you find start coming back? Did you start coming gra back gradually, or was it epiphany? How did that whole work? How did that all work? Right. Well, uh, again, it was that that period of time in my twenties. And you're right, there was social upheaval. But I would not use that as an excuse uh, because there's, um, even though I was young and dumb, uh, because I think that you are at 21, um, whatever wisdom that you hope to have comes with experience. And what have you experienced in your early years? Very little, really. I was a protected environment. I had things uh, given to me my entire life. Uh, yeah, I worked uh, from the time I was 13. But it never was a matter of me thinking that I could actually um, take care of myself. Uh, I was taken care of. Um, so during that time of the 20s, when you're responsible for yourself, you start thinking for yourself and thinking, well, do I really, uh, it, was there a conscious effort at my point to think, do I really need it? Uh, I think I just faded away from it. And what brought me back, really, was uh, the ultimate and uh, traditions, and that is uh, getting married and having a family. And that's why I'm a proponent of marriage, because my opinion is that men needed to civilize themselves, <laughs> uh, and uh, women need uh, the institution to feel protected and safe. Uh, and obviously, it sounds like an incredibly sexist thing to say, uh, that in the year of our Lord, 2021. But that's the essence. They need each other. They need each other. Uh, so um, when I decided to make that decision, a hasty decision, as it turns out, because the marriage didn't last, the one thing more than anything else that I became innately aware of, very, very clearly all of a sudden, uh, my son Brendan was born on December 12th, uh, 1983. And uh, the moment I saw him, 
I felt this responsibility overcome me. I thought, whoa, he's going to be hungry every day. He's going to need clothes. He needs shelter. I got to get really serious about life. And I think that he has to have the gift that I was given. And I didn't really look upon it as a gift early. It's not until my evolution into living life and having the experience of raising children and dealing with the ups and downs and understanding life more that I realized that faith is a gift. And while I didn't voice it particularly for Brendan, I knew for sure that I was gonna have him baptized and that I was gonna lead him through the steps of the faith because I didn't wanna be the weak link I didn't want Bridget to come uh, over well over a hundred years and you know, eleven or twelve decades later, and me be the link to give up something that valuable that she brought with her that shaped all of these lives that I see. And these are good people. You know, there's they're, uh, they their marriages last. My mom and dad were married uh, fifty three years before he passed. You know, and that was the kind of. I mean, when you had trouble in your marriage, the people who were friendly to them that they saw all the time, it wasn't a matter of, yeah, get rid of that chump or marry uh, or get dish her for a younger model. She was all, of course, she was 10 years younger, so that wasn't going to happen. But um, the, the mindset was make it work. You know, life is not a bowl of cherries. Uh, there's absolutely going to be difficult times. And in those times, you ought to focus on the things that are most important. Uh, are you healthy? Do you have a roof over your head? Um, is it safe to assume that if you live a virtuous life and there is an afterlife, uh, that things are going to go well for you? Um, so that's part of it. So right. you, I mean, you had a conscious thought when you saw your son that you were accountable to Bridget. Yes, yes. So she had that much pull even out of her grave. She had that much of an influence on you. Well, it was, it was certainly the immediate retrospect was my mom and dad because they were still alive. Right, right. But I know that now that it goes back to Bridget, she brought it. I, I have to give my mother uh, as much credit for passing it on because to this day, all four of her children are practicing Roman Catholics. We all abide by the sacraments. Are we uh, human and fail and sinners? Of course, all of that. But we practice. Uh, and that's the gift that she gave us, and we wouldn't have it without her. So she was the most immediate that I thought of. But looking back, I realized that's where it came from. That's amazing. That is amazing. How do you feel about this gift of faith? Well, um, I... I see it through a prism of blessings for me. I, I look at my life and it's hard for me to imagine how much I have been given. Um, I'm healthy. Uh, as noted already, I have four children. They're starting to give me grandchildren. Uh, I think that uh, I'll be blessed if I live longer uh, with with multiple additional grandchildren. Um, I've been able to uh, find a way to make a, a comfortable living. I live in 
uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world, in the best country in the world, up until recently now, where we've had these great troubles. Um, and I, I think, what did I do? <laughs> I think I didn't do that much, you know. I lived life. Uh, I have uh, some self-discipline. Uh, I have a work ethic, but I'm not overly intelligent. Uh, and I understand that when I look at the history around me of world conflict and to be born when I was born and born where I was born and make my way out from the East Coast, which I did in my late 20s out to what then was the Golden State uh, and live uh, as many years, I think, man, alive. Uh, I am so blessed. And that blessing to me has to come from a higher power. I don't think it was man gave it to me. I think it was bestowed upon me. The other part of that is I've seen tragedy. Uh, my own family, the most recent of which is my brother Kevin, uh, in September of 2017, as part of a family reunion in Bethany, Delaware, my sister had set up. My brother Brian uh, came in from uh, Malvern, Pennsylvania. She, my sister, had a home down in Bethany. My brother Kevin and his wife Sue came in from Portland. Uh, Sherry and I, uh, my Sherry is my wife, had driven down from Rhode Island. We had just spent eight days up in New England, and uh, uh, we got. I got to the house later in the day and went down to the beach because I hadn't been in the water for a while. And I'm a, a, an ardent ocean swimmer and lover of all things liquid. Uh, got in the ocean and uh, Kevin and my sisters and brothers were out for a walk. He rushed into the ocean and uh, to meet me. We hugged. And uh, we're in there a couple of minutes, and he takes a wave in, a road wave, as it turns out, and ends up uh, breaking his neck. Uh, he ends up a quadriplegic. Oh. He's on a respirator. Oh. In fact, he really would have passed on that beach that day had it not been for the unusual happenstance of a paramedic that went by, because it was 5.30 uh, after summer, and the guy just happened to get by. We got uh, him to an emergency. He, he basically he saved him enough so that he could be resuscitated by EMTs that came uh, after somebody had called it in. So it's not the accident so much, although uh, I'd like the accident uh, made known uh, when we talk about this religion thing, because my brothers and sisters have greater faith than I, all of whom have suffered more than I in this life, in this veil of tears. Uh, none more so than Brother Kevin. He had um, 13, 14 years ago lost his uh, original wife uh, and only daughter in an automobile accident. They were killed on a, on a snowy highway going from Portland uh, to Bend. Uh, and uh, he... Uh, then was responsible for raising his two sons, who were, who were teenagers. Eventually, uh, gets remarried, but he he is his faith uh, far exceeds mine, as well as my brother Brian, my older brother Brian, uh, who's got his own incredible challenges and has overcome those as well. Uh, but uh, Kevin, when I finally got out to him after we uh, he got we got him back after about six months after the accident, 
uh, to Portland and I came out to visit, um, I had tears in my eyes and uh, I was trying to explain how I felt responsible since I was in the water with him. And uh, he listened and tears came to his eyes. He said, brother, it was an accident. It's an accident. And I said, look, I, I, um, I had a hand in the way that you're living now. Um, so physically helpless. And he said, I thank God for each day that I'm alive. You know, it's wow. a miracle that I'm alive and uh, I'm going to make the very best of it. You know, when you go through a tragedy like that, how much, you know, for the tragedy he went through, how much has faith driven him on and kept him positive in spite of what is everybody's ultimate nightmare? Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's 99% of it. Um, the other is his nature and who he is. And he's the best of us. Uh, all my brothers and sisters all agree. His way of life uh, has always been focusing on other people, giving to other people. I lent him a suit so that he could get married. Uh, I lent him money when he was in a neighborhood up in Portland where they were using crack, there were gunshots at night uh, because they were using them as crack houses. And yet he was a college graduate and he could have gone out and made whatever amount of money that he wanted to make given his dedication because he would work for 50, 60 hours a week. He was always working, always working. But his, the essence of who he is is to give back. And um, that's what he's done. He's been in social related work uh, for his entire life. Has he really? Yeah. And the, the irony is that this was on September 17th. He had finally decided that he was going to uh, scale it back and, reti and re really retire to back off for the summer of 18 and start to travel with his wife. Um, and obviously the, the accident comes. So the, the juxtaposition of being that close to the golden brass ring, really living an incredible life uh, in giving back and now having enough resources uh, through sweat and strain and saving to be able to share some time with his wife, uh, his new wife, who's been uh, a great woman for him, um, is snatched away. That's not going to happen. No physical relationship, no touching, uh, no traveling. And no more memories other than whatever you have in front of you, kind of taken away in an instant. And I think the vast majority of people, myself included, no matter what kind of faith that I think that I have, would be devastated, uh, angry, uh, remorseful, uh, unaccepting, uh, oh. push me off a porch kind of attitude because I, I, my life is so much about physical movement and always has been um, that it's part of who I am to be able not to be able to do that. By the way, Kevin was the same, same deal. He was uh, a, a guy that loved to bike and hike and be out and go places with his two sons, uh, all of those kind of things. So in telling the story, I know that it's, I want to bring it back to his faith because it's, it, he is avid in his belief of faith. Uh, obviously, prays uh, daily, uh, 
for the strength to, to, to battle on. Um, and always is looking for a cause. Said, I talked to him uh, weekly for an hour. Uh, he'll call uh, late Friday afternoons. We just talk for an hour. We don't talk about his health, anything other than his health. Everything else is on the table. And he is my best friend and always has been because that's my definition of what a best friend is. Uh, it's one, obviously, that has to be there for you. Uh, and I think a lot of people will uh, do that. And it has to be somebody who un wants to listen when you need to talk. Uh, it has to be someone who embraces uh, who you are, the virtues you have, the characteristics that you have. Um, but more than anything, uh, best friend and deep friendship, I think, is the ability to believe that you can say whatever you want to that person. And for whatever reason, they're not going to judge you for it in a negative way. They're just going to say, that's who you are. If it's warranted, obviously it's warranted. But my entire life, <clears throat> Kevin has been that person for me. We would always, always, always talk. And you still have that same relationship. And we still have that, yeah. yeah. God, it would be so easy to descend into a sea of bitterness. Yes. But he's positive. Yes. Yeah. And it sounds like Faith is an integral part of that positivity that he still has. Absolute necessity. It, it ju he just doesn't make it without it. That's all there is to it. You know, and, I, and my brother Brian uh, just lost his wife of 53 years. Uh -huh. They were they met at the Bonner Fair, Monsignor Bonner High School, Catholic High School in, in uh, Darby, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. Uh, he came home the night, was, he was a junior, so 17 years old, 16, 17 years old, and said to uh, my mother, uh, I just met the girl I'm going to marry. Um, and uh, she went to Archbishop Prendergast, which is the Catholic girl's school right next door. And they did get married. He was 21, uh, had seven children, two sets of twins, uh, lost one of his twins, uh, girl twins, um, to... A suicide. Um, another one now is incarcerated. Uh, for, he's an alcoholic. His third DUI. Uh, in the meantime, there's been drugs and depression and, and suicide attempts on the other ones. Yet they were model. They were model parents. Uh, no one uh, practiced their faith more sincerely than my brother Brian. Inexplicable. Totally inexplicable. Yeah, he's the only thing he that gets him through, he tells me, is his faith. Um, he's also the author of a Catholic best-selling trilogy, Fatherless, Motherless, uh, and Childless. Uh, and uh, he wrote those about, in novel form, uh, based on uh, characters, obviously, that have crossed his path during his life. He's a wildly successful ad man, uh, Retired when he was 55 years old, brought um, a, a company a, a public uh, with his marketing skills and was was paid handsomely to do so, and needed to be. He said he he thought he ended up spending with all of the dropouts and the startups and his uh, for his seven children. He think he paid for about you know 50 years of college, <laughs> um, but uh, he, he, always retained. Uh, a sense of humor, uh, but more than anything else, what drives him is his, his faith. Uh, my sister Eileen St. Beale uh, was 
married to an engineer, three beautiful children, young children. She put her husband through graduate school and doctorate school, uh, bought a home for the family uh, in suburban Newark, Delaware, and uh, five years, uh, maybe, maybe 10 years into the marriage, finds out that the husband's having an affair with an extra neighbor while um, he's, she's at work providing for the family and uh, ends up getting, he ends up divorcing her and, and moving off. So she, she had uh, great challenges and having had gone, uh, gone, gone through it, because my marriage only lasted five years. In that first two years, uh, Brendan and Joanna were part of my life. My wife, original wife, Catherine Benson uh, from uh, Iowa, uh, beautiful gal, uh, only child, allowed me to allow to have my children baptized, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I th think it was the same for my wife now, who happens to be Jewish, uh, and the rationale for both of them was that, look, we don't, one was Lutheran and one was Jewish but neither of them had anything passed on to them. They were both thought, well, look, if you can make them uh, better people through this, well, I'm not gonna stand in your way. Um, as it turns out, again, uh, Kate and I were not <coughs> soulmates, uh, and she had the courage and, and uh, uh, termacity, I guess, at the same time to say, I'm not happy, I want out. Uh, Joanna was six weeks old at the time, and I was uh, uh, devastated first and foremost because I thought that I was in love. Turns out that I really uh, wasn't really in love, um, but the great, uh, obviously, disconnect was now my children, my, my oldest two children, how, how I stayed connected with them. And I think that part of um, my faith journey has been that through this, the entire process of my initial uh, breakup of my marriage, it was a very difficult time, um, was I'm not going to give up on Bridget's dream, on Mary Murray's dream, my mom's dream, that my children are gonna have the faith. And I think that my determination that I was gonna give them every effort, and, and my ensuing children, Samantha, uh, who's now a beautiful 28-year-old uh, gal, and my uh, youngest, Jack, who's now 26, uh, who's down in Texas, uh, beautiful, both beautiful children. Um, all of them were baptized as well. They're all Roman Catholics, uh, and they have different degrees of spirituality based on them, but all of them understand and accept my faith. All of them pray. And you asked before about prayers and, and yeah I was going to say where did, so so uh, so you still have this strong faith right and you practice Catholicism right now as we speak right that's correct and do you pray every day I do um, uh, I pray every day because every day as I get into bed I, I thank God um, for getting me through the day safely and, and all the people in my life that I constantly pray for. Uh, I pray before every meal um, that I have in Thanksgiving uh, that I have that. Um, obviously, I'm uh, the most, uh, I go to Mass um, uh, every uh, Sunday. Um, I pray there, um, and that's a, there's, a, there's hope 
as I go there that I'm going to get a, a homily that reflects the gospel. So that the, the concept of the faith is that the practice of the faith, like anything, is that you don't get good at it unless you practice. Right. And unless you stay tethered to it. And there's a real schism in the church nowadays. And there are people that believe that it's a menu. And you just kind of go by uh, what you want to believe. Uh, and whether or not, there are people that I hear them say they're pro-choice Catholics. Well, that's an anomaly. You can't be a practicing Catholic and believe that. Right. Uh, you have to be pro-life. You have to right. be pro-life. Uh, so in living uh, Catholicism on a daily basis um, you, you, and, and praying, you're asking for me, it puts me in a position where I have to stay in touch with the value system that Catholicism has built. Um, and I have all the weaknesses of everybody else. You know, I'm, 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 uh, you look at uh, the, the visual temptation all around you all of the time, but I'm focused on trying to be a decent human being, be faithful to my wife, try to set a good example for my children, kind of walk the walk as opposed to just talk the talk, um, and be a decent contributing citizen along the way. Um, and by having faith and understanding, you have the Ten Commandments that respect your mother and father and don't steal and don't uh, cheat uh, and don't kill and don't covet your neighbor's possessions and your wife. All of those kind of things uh, put you in a position where you think, well, okay, uh, those are the guide rails uh, that I need to live by. And prayer connects me to those things because I have to think of it. Uh, is some of it mindless, repetitive? Yeah, uh, I'll admit to that. Every Sunday, my family says, uh, says a mass at five o'clock. Brother Brian, uh, Kevin, and his wife Sue, uh, John, a friend of mine, John O'Rourke, myself, uh, at five o'clock, at my time, we all say a rosary. And we started it about a year and a half ago to pay, pray for the people who, uh, the corona, the whole corona thing, the mess that it is. Uh, and we offer intentions each week uh, as we pray this rosary. And it's a repetitive thing. Sherry calls it chanting, you know, um, and I understand why you would think that. But uh, it's, it's praying, and as I said, I think that doing that does a couple things for me. Allows me to stay connected and allows me to stay appreciative. Lastly, the most fervent prayer that I have, most deeply felt prayer that I have, is when I'm in the ocean. And, I'm, and I have swum my, uh, the first 25% of my swim, and I turn and I look up and I thank God for his beautiful ocean, and then I'm in it. And I thank Mother Mary and, and the Holy Spirit and everybody in the Trinity uh, for all the blessings that I have. It's such a deep appreciation for the gift that I am allowed to partake in, um, given where I am in this life, that um, I, I feel the connection to God. Whoa. Yeah. This is, so this is, I've never done a podcast like this. <laughs> so, you know, this has been great about your spiritual journey and about, you know, the context with your family. And 
I like to to end my podcast, and by the way, I'm fighting back tears because this is such a, you're sharing such a personal thing and you and I are so close. I just want to give you a big hug. (laughs) I just want to give you a big hug. Get back there, you social distance boy. (laughs) So, so what I want to do, what the last question I asked somebody in my podcast is, what would you like to tell us about Catholicism, religion, your personal journey, you've shared a lot. Is there anything you would like to say in summation? It's always difficult for an Irishman to sum up because we (laughs) always think that we have more to say. So it's a very uh, interesting and and, uh, no doubt necessary question. Uh, But I think that I would uh, would leave you with this, is that faith is is a gift. But like anything else, it has to have maintenance. You have to take care of it. You have to think more about it. Um, And you have to be willing to share it and live it. And whether it's the Roman Catholic faith or any number of the other Christian faiths, um, I think that deep down you have to believe. And there's always, there's, the Catholic Church allows you to question. And if they're allowing you to question, they're allowing doubt. Uh, and they want you to question so that at some point you're going to realize that it's going to actually reinforce the faith that you already have. And I think that um, I would believe that the gift that I was given, uh, I believe that it was my responsibility to pass it on, and that I think that life is very fragile, and that um, having the belief that someone like a mother... Teresa, or someone who has dedicated their lives to really making this planet, in a human sense, a better place, Uh, and the innate sufferings that they had and the human frailty that they had is rewarded in some positive way, as opposed to all of the people, the Hitlers and and the Stalins and the Maos and all of those kind of people who have wrecked havoc on people's lives that there's a judgment for them as well. There's a sense of fair play uh, in the essence of religion, and that is uh, try your best to live a good life, believe in something bigger than yourself, give to your fellow man, be human, understand the gift of humility, uh, and love God and love your neighbor. This has been beautiful, Barry. I want to thank you profusely for sharing this with us, being myself in the audience. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you, my brother.